Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have these scripture journals that you're free to take with you and to use throughout this time as we continue our walk through this ancient sermon called Hebrews. Now, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews, and some scholars seem really bothered about that, but me, I kind of love this detail in the scriptures. I kind of love this about Hebrews because this preacher does not need recognition. And it made me think once, like, could you imagine if Christian books in the Christian publishing world just were all anonymous? How much healthier would that be? Because Jesus is the point. Not this preacher. This preacher just wants you to hang on to Jesus. And that's actually my prayer for you during this series of Hebrews. Are you struggling to hang on? Are you? Is someone that you love struggling to hang on? There's this moment that I love in the Gospel of Mark. There's a desperate dad who brings his struggling son to Jesus. And he pleads with Jesus, please, please do something. Jesus replies, all things are possible for the one who believes. And this brokenhearted, this depleted death says, I believe, help my unbelief. I think Hebrews exists for anyone who understands that prayer. I believe, oh Jesus, help my unbelief. And God has, in the scriptures, a divine resource for anyone whose prayer that is. It's called Hebrews. God knows belief is hard, which is why he speaks to us in this sermon called Hebrews. In our passage this morning, we actually meet two words that describe the Christian walk. One is strive, and one is hold fast. And these words imply that walking with Jesus is a struggle. Strive and hold fast. And I think this can actually be a surprising encouragement for all of you. A surprising encouragement that God himself knows that belief is hard. That following Jesus is a struggle. But he does not leave you alone. And this morning we find out how that's true. I want to look at the passage together again. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll start in verse 11. I'll read and you can follow along. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, this is time of need. And so with the words in my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer, and would we approach the throne of grace this morning from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for me, following Jesus always seemed easy, and then three years ago, following Jesus became very Sitting down to read the Bible felt like a battle. Reading a Christian book felt impossible. Listening to gospel podcasts felt impossible. I mean, that's, that's like the Holy Trinity of discipleship, right? <laughs> quiet times. Quiet times, Christian books and podcasts, right? Well, these practices, minus the podcast, were my comfortable companions for all of my life with Jesus. Uh, Like sweatpants, super comfortable, super familiar, not hard, not difficult at all. But in 2020, let's just say, you know, the sweatpants stopped fitting. My uncomplicated faith started to get complicated. And it turns out, walking with Jesus didn't get easier with time. Walking with Jesus got more difficult. I assume walking with Jesus got more easy to time. And we can call this the Malcolm Gladwell theory. If you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, he sort of made famous this idea that it just takes about 10,000 hours for something that's hard to become easy. And so I think we can carry this expectation into our walk with Jesus. Everything with Jesus, everything, walking with Him, will just eventually get easier. Now, Mountain Bible's theory might work with, like, playing piano, but the Bible and experience seems to tell a different story when it comes to Jesus. Scholar N.T. Wright says, People today often suppose that the early years of a person's Christian pilgrimage are the difficult ones, and then as you go on in the Christian life, it gets more straightforward. The opposite is frequently the case. Precisely when you learn to walk beside Jesus, you're given harder tasks, which will demand more courage, more spiritual energy. Now, I know this message won't sell out stadiums, but it's the truth. Our passage this morning begins in verse 11, which says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then in verse 14, the beginning of the next 
passage we read this morning, we get another charge. Let us hold fast our confession. Strive. Hold fast. Maybe you've sat down with a friend. Maybe this has been recently. And you've shared with them how hard walking with Jesus is. At this moment. At this time of need. Maybe you've shared that and you were met with eyes. And maybe you were even met with words that simply didn't understand. Or were sort of trying not to understand. They were maybe papering over your struggle to believe. And they said, maybe with their eyes or with their own words, things will get better, don't worry, things will get better, things will get better, things will get easier, things will get better. Well, if the author of Hebrews was having coffee with you, I think this is what that author would say. I know it's hard. I do, I know it's hard, and it's probably going to get harder. So keep striving. Keep fastening your grip on your confession. And on the one hand, I think that response sounds cruel. <laughs> but I think it's more cruel to lie to someone about how hard following Jesus can be. And so the question for us this morning is not, does walking with Jesus get easier? But the question is, what do we do when it gets hard? Amen? Do you follow that? So instead of, <laughs> will it get easier? Let's ask instead, what do we do when it gets hard? And this morning we're given, I think, two answers, sort of two postures, vulnerability and confidence. And I want to look at both. So first, we must be vulnerable before God. When it gets hard, we must be vulnerable before God. This really is the heart of verses 11 through 13. (coughs) According to to this passage, and after I read this passage, and I'm encouraged to even look at it now, I cannot think of anything more vulnerable than standing before God's Word. It's living and it's active, verse 12. It's compared to a sword. It's sharp. It uncovers my deepest thoughts and my intentions. It sees all of me. It sees my unfiltered me. It sees not just what I curate to other people. And so this is an invitation to be vulnerable before God. Now, if you read this and you read it honestly, you don't get a choice, actually. And we like to say in our family, if you can't get out of it, get into it. If you can't get out of it, get into it. Vulnerability before God is not an option. You don't get a vote. And so this passage is an invitation to own your vulnerability before Him. And I think this passage breaks down three myths that keep us from doing that. And the first myth is this. God is dead. Now, you don't have to be an atheist to live in light of that myth. God is dead. We can be good Christians and live as if God is dead in our life. As if He is not living and active in our life. But verse 11 tells us that God's Word is living and active because God is living and active. We will not strive, we will not keep holding on to our confession if God is functionally dead. If He's just like an idea, or if He's just a philosophy of life, or if He's just a source of ethics, 
Or he, maybe he's a pawn in a culture war. God must be alive for you to hang on. Alive. And his word must have purpose in your life for you to hold on. The second myth is that God is distant. So we can live as if God is alive. We would never say God is dead, but we would definitely struggle to live in light of his presence. Instead, we like the myth that he is distant. This week, I dropped my son off to soccer practice, and there's two kinds of parents at soccer drop-off. There's those who actively watch from the sidelines. That's me, I'm sorry. I'm that guy. And then there are those who sort of sit in their cars with their phones. Anybody? (laughs) I guess you could say there's a third, ones who drive off and then come back later. More hands for that one. (laughs) It's tempting to say that God is not like the parent who drives off. It's tempting to say God is not like the parent who sits in the car with their phone. That God is like the parent who stands by the sidelines. That 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 would preach, wouldn't it? But the truth of verse 12 is that God is neither. God is not any of those. He does not sit back. He doesn't stand back. He doesn't stand on the sidelines watching his people. His word, it says here in verse 12, discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. He knows our internal life better than we even do. He is not distant. And nothing will kill vulnerability before God quicker than the myth that God is distant, that he's just watching. And the third myth is that God is domesticated. Like my golden doodle, who's probably a wolf way back when, right? His ancestors. (laughs) But now he's sweet and cuddly, with floppy ears. Who exists for my comfort. I think we're always in danger of treating God in the same way. We might say God was once wild, but today, He's for me. He's for my comfort. He's sweet and He's cuddly. Well, this passage, I mean, I can't think of a passage that destroys that myth quicker. Commentators tell me that this passage is meant to feel threatening. It, it, it is. If that's how you feel when you read it, it's like it's doing its job. God is not domestic. He is not tame. He is he's God. This week I went to my kids' school orchestra concert. Um, and they agree with me on this one. So I'm not throwing shade uh, where it's inappropriate. It was not the most harmonious experience I had. <laughs> uh, my kids agree. Uh, lots of kids probably didn't have their instruments tuned correctly to begin with. And then on top of that, lots of kids didn't find the right notes on this thing right here. Not my kids, by the way. Not, not my and that was challenging enough to my eardrums. Um, but the, the, the director actually asked the professional piano player uh, to accompany them. And I think this director wanted this piano feature to help things. But here's what happened. Actually hurt things. And here's why. The piano was a tune. And the piano player was hitting the right keys. So what that did is it created dissonance. What it did is it actually made things worse. 
the piano was hitting the right notes, and so she just served as a constant reminder of how off second violin was. <laughs> it made the whole experience a little bit dissonant. And when we domesticate God, it would be like asking that piano player, open up the back of that piano, and let's retune that thing to fit the orchestra. No, if we are off key, God does not retune himself to to fit our vibe. He made the world. He judges the world. He's holier than we realize. He's holier than we care to admit, isn't he? And our rebellion and our lack of love, love towards him and love of, of others, is a bigger problem than we do care to admit. And I believe that the minute we sort of domesticate God, we're not just in eternal danger at that moment, but we are cutting off real incentive to, to strive in this walk with Jesus, aren't we? Because why follow God in our own image? What's the point? What's the whole point? I think all three myths keep us from being vulnerable before God. But God's word tells a different story. God is alive. God is active. He is present. And so let me just ask, are you vulnerable before God? Does God's word define your world? Or is it the other way around? Do we judge God as if he were in the courtroom and we had the gap? Or do we allow his perfect judgment to have a say? Now, this isn't all we will say, but it has to be said. God is God, and we are not. Inside. And we will not strive, we will not hold fast unless God is worth striving for. But the second item really that we need to wrestle with this morning is confidence before God. Because the author of Hebrews does not stop with vulnerability before God. The author of Hebrews also wants us to keep walking with Jesus by approaching God with confidence. Look again at verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, why? What's the incentive here? What's the rationale? What's the engine for this? Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay, so God discerns our weaknesses. And then in verse 15, we understand that God, by Jesus, is able to sympathize with them. Because he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so verse 16, let us sin with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And so verse 16, as you see it, calls us to draw near with confidence. Just a second ago, we were exploring a passage that tells us to draw near with vulnerability. Which is it? Which is it? It's both. And here's why. Jesus is a great high priest. 
God is holy, and so we dare not approach Him on our own terms. We dare not approach Him in our sin. But God wants us to approach Him. Do you see? God wants us to be with Him. He likes us, which is why in the Old Testament, He gave Israel a sacrificial system. That was a bid for intimacy. That was a bid for intimacy. That was God saying, I actually want to be near you. And so I am going to do something that enables my holiness to remain. And yet for you to be in relationship with me. If you have your Bibles, you could look at verse 1 of chapter 5, the very next verse. For every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And that's why he sent his son to be a great high priest who could allow us to draw near with confidence. It's relationship. Okay, so Jesus as a great high priest means two crucial things. Number one says, your weakness does not isolate you. Your your weakness does not isolate you. Jesus as high priest means that he can sympathize with your weaknesses. But who is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So just what is your weakness? What is your weakness? You might be tempted this morning uh, to just accept the truth that, that isolates you from this community, that isolates you from God. Well, you are not alone, according to this verse. You are known and you are understood by the sinless one, by Jesus, who is fully human. Okay, the full incarnation of Jesus means he knows how hard it is to be human. The full incarnation of Jesus, Jesus who is fully human yet fully God and therefore without sin, this high priest knows faithfulness is hard. Let that, I mean, meditate. We can draw near to God with confidence because Jesus is our high priest. He is our representative who can represent us today. But that's not all. Jesus not only knows us, He died for us. Your your weakness doesn't isolate you, and your sin does not condemn you. Jesus is high priest who doesn't offer like a lowercase p, perfect sacrifice, an animal, to bring you near to God, which would have been the Old Testament way. But he offers himself as an uppercase P, perfect, willing sacrifice. The sacrificer becomes the sacrifice in Jesus. And all of the Old Testament sacrificial system we now know pointed to Jesus. So that the word that judges in verses 11 through 13 is now the word that is judged in our place. In verses 14 through 16, Jesus was naked and exposed on the cross, but for sins he didn't commit. Why? So that you can have confidence, confidence at the throne. The throne now is a throne of grace, so you can find mercy and grace in his presence. Relationship. Now imagine what this meant, if you could, for the original church who received this message. They were feeling pressed to the margins of society. 
They were experiencing, as Aaron taught us last week, all kinds of external pressure. But as scholar David De Silva writes, joining the Christian movement has not pushed believers out of the margins further, but rather has brought them closer to the divine center of the universe. The throne of grace. And maybe you feel similarly marginalized this morning. Maybe you feel isolated in your weakness and in your struggles. Maybe you feel like you don't have a place in this world. Maybe you feel like you're disqualified to even sit in this chair this morning because the things you've done are pondered. In Jesus, you're closer to the divine center of the universe. There is no better place to be than grace. And that is where you are. Friends, the only way you will continue to strive and hold fast is with these two postures. Vulnerability before the Lord and confidence before the Lord. Vulnerability before God's word means that you are humble. Vulnerability before God's word means you are humbled quite often. Vulnerability before God's word means you're open to correction. Vulnerability to God's word means that you are like like you are low and God is high and you're able to allow him to speak into your life. It means you're soft, not hard to his word and to his ways. But confidence means that you're resting in the finished work of Jesus, the great high priest who represents us. And therefore we can come boldly into his presence as sons and daughters of the living God. Both are true. And if we don't hold both in tension, if we don't hold both together, then we will be imbalanced in our walk. And we will, like any imbalance in running or walking, we will get injured. The famous Olympian Michael Johnson says, quote, Evaluating and working on symmetry is one of the top tips I would give new and veteran runners alike. Okay, that's for free from Michael Johnson. But that's the image that I want to leave you with today. To walk with Jesus... For the long haul, we need a balanced stride. And that stride consists of vulnerability before God and confidence before God. Vulnerability without confidence. We'll talk about that for a minute. Vulnerability without confidence will throw your hip out. Because it will lead to spiritual depression. Vulnerability without confidence leads to Evangelical anxiety, we'll call it, or as others have called it. We'll live our life constantly searching our motives and never feeling joy. Never feeling confident before God. We might even struggle to embrace our God-given dignity. We might constantly live in what Michael Hendricks calls toxic shame. When we receive conviction, when we receive correction from God and His Word and from others, we receive it, but we never, as he puts it, metabolize it into the joy of security and of forgiveness and of friendship with God and of renewed purpose in God's mission. And so all we sort of have is a sort of stuckness of conviction with nothing else. That is vulnerability without confidence, friends. And that will injure you, and you will not. Continue walking with the Lord. 
vulnerability without confidence. Or we can talk about confidence without vulnerability. This will throw your hip out in another way because it will lead to arrogance. It will lead to spiritual blindness. You are injuring people and you don't even know it. And you're doing it in Jesus' name. It will lead to stagnation. Because we're confident about the throne of grace, but we are absolutely not vulnerable towards correction. We're not vulnerable before God's word. We kind of, we're feeling okay. And when people do correct us, we sort of like explain it away. We're not asking the Lord, what, like, am I tender before you? Where can I change? Where am I unloving before God and before others? And this can give us a false confidence in life and in our faith. And that false confidence will not persist. And you'll get injured. But friends, Jesus enables us to have both. And only Jesus. We can only be vulnerable before the Lord fully to our depths in Jesus. See, there will be a point in which we sort of stop. Like, if we aren't confident in Jesus, there will be a point where we just can't bear the Word of God in our life. It's like, it's just too much. But if we're in Christ and we're confident at the throne of grace, then we can say, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm safe. Tell me. Holy Spirit, convict me. Show me. Show me my heart. You know it better than I know and because we're in Jesus and he's our great high priest, we can know that there is no condemnation for our sins. And that gives us a unique boldness and a unique confidence that, again, if it's apart from our vulnerability, that's, it can get really ugly. But when it's attached to our posture of openness and tenderness before the Lord and his word, it can be the most beautiful boldness you will ever see. Have you seen it before? Have you experienced it before from someone else? Oh my gosh. When the Holy Spirit leads a confident and vulnerable person, it is something to you. And that's all I'm offering to you this morning. His word is alive, it's active. He's God. We are not. He doesn't tune to us. And yet Jesus is our great grace. We can approach him with confidence. With confidence. That word approach, actually, in the ancient mindset and in the Hebrew scriptures, that word approach was very much about approaching God in his most holy place. And only in Jesus can we do that, and he invites it. This isn't a consolation. This is exactly why Jesus came. For you. He wants all of you now to approach him with confidence in Jesus. And so, Lord, let's see. Lord, we pray. That we would be struck by two things this morning. That we would be struck by your absolute holiness. Would we not domesticate you or push you away? And yet, Lord, may we be struck by the absolute glory of Jesus, our great high priest, so that we can now approach you with confidence. The way a child would approach a loving parent. Would we do that, Lord? The way a child would approach the parent at pickup after preschool, running towards them, thinking of nothing but there is a safe person that I can run and hug 
to come with such confidence, Lord, strike us with that truth in Jesus. And would it, would it create in us this morning endurance? Would we strive and would we hold fast in Jesus? And it's in His name we pray. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.